It is the Jesse Kelly Show. Remember, you can email the show, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Another hour of the Jesse Kelly Show. You know, Joe Biden, you know how I know he doesn't have the authority to forgive student loans? Grandma Vodka told us so back in 2021. People think that the president of the United States, is this more on the subject than you ever want to know? Will you let me know? People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. <laughs> Whoops. You can tell you can tell she was about half in the bag for that one, too. I know everyone's out there. Everyone's criticizing the, the, the you remember her husband, Paul Pelosi. He got a DUI recently in California. And they were going to let him scam out of it. And then the public outrage was too much, so they charged him for it. And they released the video of his DUI. And he is snookered, man. I'm, it looks like old Paul was empty stomach drinking. He was on a one-way ticket to Blackout Town that night. And everyone's criticizing Paul. Maybe he was just trying to keep up with Grandma Vodka. Paul was trying to go shot for shot with the queen, and he couldn't do it. Then he got in his car. <laughs> All right, quit. Focus. They're trying to murder us here. Here's what I mean. You know what swatting is? It's something you better get used to. It's something very normal now, sadly, in this country. It's something the communists are using quite often. No, I'm not talking about that thing you do to flies. Here's what they do. They will call the police. They'll call 911 most of the time, and they'll describe an emergency situation somewhere. Someone's hurt. You guys have to get over there with your guns now. It's a hostage situation. And the police obviously don't have any choice but to go act on that as if it's somehow real. So the cops will show up, oftentimes with a SWAT team, but always armed, always weapons drawn. They will show up at whatever that address is. They will make entry. Most of the time, they will make entry, guns drawn, And most of the time, this is an effort to kill whoever is in the home. It is something the communists use often. They find the address of a uh, a, someone on the a pundit on the right they don't like. They could easily do it here, or a politician they don't like, and they send the cops over there. My buddy Tim Pool has had it happen to him several times. They keep sending the cops over to his studio while he does his show. Saying there's some emergency situation. It's an effort to have Tim Poole murdered by police. That's what it is. It's not more complicated than that. It's, it's an it's an, it's attempted murder. They just did it last night to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Some trans activist sent the cops to her home. Cops show up at her home. This took place in Rome, Georgia. Cops show up at her home at 1 a.m. Guns drawn. I'm going to interview Marjorie about this tonight uh, on my TV show on the first. Remember, I have a TV show on the first every single night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to have her on. But that's attempted murder. You tell me. What would you do if somebody was kicking in your front door at 1 a.m.? I I know what I would do. Uh, Look, Okay, forget about your home. Look, if you're watching on the simulcast, remember you can watch the show on thefirsttv.com slash jesse. If you're watching on the simulcast, you just saw me reach right in front of me about six inches from my hand. What do I have? I have my Glock 19. I have it sitting right beside me on the desk because there are some communists who want to kill us. And I intend to kill them first if they ever try to kill me. But it's sitting right here. 
if right now, while I was doing the show live to the country, if right now, boom, the front door to the studio got kicked in, I know the first thing I would do without question. I would reach over, grab my weapon, unholster my weapon, and I would go see what's going on with not only my weapon drawn, probably my weapon pointing towards the front door because I have to assume a hostile actor has come into the studio attempting to hurt me or Michael. I have to assume that. Well, what are the cops going to do if they are told that there's some dangerous man in the studio trying to hurt people and they kick in the door and all of a sudden there's some 6'8", very handsome radio host comes around the corner pointing a Glock 19 at them. They're going to kill me. And frankly, it wouldn't even be their fault that you, someone points a weapon at you, especially as a police officer, you have to shoot them before they shoot you. That's attempted murder. I bring this up because this is now something that's happening with more and more regularity. And it's something we have to be aware of. And I don't know, I don't know how we solve this problem. I know there should be strict laws, obviously, against it. You should find the person responsible and send them to prison for attempted murder, no question. That, 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 is, a, that is a must. But as far as how you should prepare for that, I don't know. And the reason I bring this up to you is not for Marjorie Taylor Greene's sake, although I obviously don't want anyone to hurt Marjorie Taylor Greene. I bring this up because... This is becoming a standard tactic on the left. This is not losing steam. This is picking up steam. This could easily happen to you. You ever been in an argument on social media with some communist scumbag you don't like? You understand they have a playbook of of how they deal with things. These people are trained. They're trained in what they do. They're trained by their fellow communists. They're trained in college. They're trained by various activist groups. These people have a way of going about things. I've told you recently, it happened to me. This is a long, long time ago. Happened to me. It was one of the various controversies I got in. And there were older communists online. And they were simply asking around, hey, what's his address? Hey, let's find his address. And I'm not talking about some radical college kid. People in their 60s, it was simply what they did. They just viewed that as normal. Hey, we got to find his address. We either have to kill him or hurt him or at least make him think we will, guys. And they didn't think anything of it. For them, that's just how politics are done. I am telling you right now, going forward, this is going to be something they have in their tool belt. And it's going to be something you have to consider. It's going to be something I have to consider. How do I approach my front door if somebody kicks it in? What do I do about that? Do I grab my 300 blackout like I would and kill whatever I find there like I would? That would I mean I wouldn't I'm I know there are better people out there than me. I would never run to my front door and yell freeze, stop, back away. I'll just kill you. Second I come around the corner if you don't belong in my house in the middle of the night, you're going to die. You should know you should understand that. And my family will do the same thing. My sons would do that. We've all, we've all trained that way. There's no hi, no stop, no please. If I come around the corner and you've made entry into my home, you're going to die. But what if that's a cop just doing his job? I'm going to die. Or maybe he'll die and then I'll die. This is something we have to consider going forward. This is not a small thing. This is something the communist has officially put in his tool belt, and he's going to use it.
He's going to use it again and again and again. Pretty brilliant. Pretty brilliant. Pretty dark. Something we have to think about, though. It's something we have to consider. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, and I'll get to some emails here, get to some phone calls in a few, but I do... We talk a lot and always will about putting your money where your morals are, and we talk about the the corporate government partnership that's going on across the globe with ESG, which you already know what that is, and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how all these are just cloaks for communism. This is the corporate world working with governments to put communism into you, to force you into communism, (laughs) well, put put communism into you, to force you into communism. That's what this whole thing is. And sometimes it can get confusing. How are they doing that? What does that mean? Well, there's an outstanding example right here. Do you want to know what's going on in corporate America, big corporate America? And I've said before, I'll say it again. If you're somebody on the right, I understand the allure of corporate America. And I'm not telling you to leave your high-powered corporate job if you have one. I'm, I'm really not. But I am telling you this. Understand when you walk into one of these Fortune 500 companies now, you are walking into the lion's den. And there are a lot of insane things you're either going to have to grin and bear or you're going to have to walk away and go small to mid-sized company. And I know there are sacrifices that come with that. Fortune 500 companies, shoot, the pay's good. The bennies are better. Travel, got that expense card, baby. I, I know. I, I understand. I know. Just understand that this, what I'm about to read you, This is all throughout corporate America already, and it's getting worse. The headline is this. American Express slapped with lawsuit alleging discrimination against white employees. Brian Netzel worked for a decade for Amex till he was terminated in 2020. He sued the company on behalf of himself and others following, quote, by the way, this is from Fox Business, following, quote, an avalanche of bad things coming to white people in that company once George Floyd was killed. Apparently, the lawsuit alleges Amex implemented anti-racism policies throughout its structure. It gave preferential treatment to individuals for being black and unambiguously signaled to white employees their race was an impediment to getting ahead in the company. How bad did it get? Here's a quote. We We weren't allowed to talk before they talked in a meeting. We weren't allowed to touch their hair. Netzel also said, although I don't know why you'd want to touch their hair. Netzel alleged his complaint that his female manager, who is black, would aggressively and harass and berate white employees, overworking them and then retaliating with poor performance reviews. I bring this to you because this is all throughout corporate America. This is all over college campuses now. This is all over your military now. We rant all the time about poor the military guys and the vaccine mandates and everything they're suffering through in there. We rant all the time about that. But we don't talk about the open anti-white racism. You see, it's taking place all throughout your military now. I have emails. I have email after email after email. Jesse, you're not going to believe what goes on now. Jesse, you're not going to believe what goes on now. This is dividing this country In a dark way. This is fomenting a race war. That's what this is. It's not going for equality at all, which is a ridiculous word anyway. But this is going after a race war. That's what this stuff is. 
And that's how this stuff's going to end up. It's ugly, nasty stuff, and you don't want to live in a country where this is. But we have to be strong enough to fight against it because for so long, the Republican Party, the second an accusation of racism comes up from the communists, they can't duck under the bed fast enough. Or you remember when St. George Floyd died. Huh, where's Tim Scott? Uh, oh, my, they're, they're calling us racist. Tim, Tim, hey, Tim, where are you? Oh, I know you're hanging out with your good friend Cory Booker. Tim, could you come on up here and push some police reform? Let's show them how really not racist we are, guys. We have got to radically change that kind of mentality in this country or we are never going to get ahead. Because they, it has become, I talked earlier about how the communist has these things in the tool belt, right? Calling somebody a racist is numero uno. It's like their hammer if they're a carpenter. That's what they do. I made a, uh, well, a half joke on social media the other day. Well, I was being serious. I said far too many people can vote. We talk all the time about everyone should be included. Why should everyone be included? You don't actually like inclusion. You claim to like inclusion, but you actually don't want inclusion in anything that you genuinely care about. Do you want everyone to get together and make you dinner tonight? Or do you want a good cook to get together and make you dinner tonight? Oh, are you not being inclusive? But that applies to voting too. And on the right, we have all the time, everyone needs to vote. No, they don't. Lots of people are stupid. And it's insane that we live in a country where we pretend it can remain free if we allow everyone to vote just because they live to the age of 18. So I, of course, said uh, only men between 35 and 65 should be able to vote. Boom, I just threw it out there. And the communists went crazy. But it's more than just them going crazy. They went crazy. And you should have seen it. It was almost universal. They made it about race. Who said anything about race? Oh, so I guess you don't want blacks to vote. Uh, I guess you don't want Mexicans to vote. These people, it's worked for so long on the right, it's simply automatic. It's, It's second nature to them. It's like you scratching your nose when you have an itch on it. It's second nature to them. They pull out the race card. Why? Because it works. It has worked so long on you. And until it stops working, they're going to keep using it. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. We all know it is time for us to break up, but everybody's status quo bias is standing in the way of this obvious and humane solution. Check out my brand new ebook called National Divorce, The Peaceful Solution to Irreconcilable Differences, which you can get for free at nationaldivorce.com. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Well, the day has come. I do indeed, as I mentioned very briefly last week, have a brand new free ebook and it's on the subject of national divorce. It's called National Divorce, The Peaceful Solution to Irreconcilable Differences. And it's available, again, for free at nationaldivorce.com. Let me tell you something. It took some doing to get that domain, (laughs) nationaldivorce.com. Somebody else owned it, so let's just say I didn't get it for the usual 10 bucks, but I'm sure over time it will be worth it. So I am very, very hopeful that you'll go pick that up and take a look at it. I've had some very good feedback on it so far. In fact, my pinned tweet on Twitter is from somebody saying, I'm on chapter two and you know already this is great and it makes so much more sense when it's explained this way 
by Tom Woods. So how about that? Okay, so I think you'll like it. I'm particularly pleased with chapter one, by the way. I think once you read chapter one, if you haven't heard me talk about that stuff before, you'll never look at the world the same way again. The stuff that's covered in chapter one has a way of making the way the world works and the way the world operates seem a lot clearer to you. So I want to urge people to go pick it up because it's a topic that we need to talk about, but it's one that we're kind of not allowed to talk about. Because wait one minute, the New York Times never said you're allowed to talk about something like national divorce. No, no, no. You can talk about and then think of all the trivial things you're allowed to talk about, but you can't talk about that. But it seems to be such a natural response to a situation in which we have a deeply, deeply divided country. Now, it's not foolproof. It's not without its problems. But remember, even Kirkpatrick Sale on the left, whom I talked to many hundreds of episodes ago, Kirkpatrick Sale has been a man of the left for 50 plus years. And his attitude is small is beautiful. And that it's true that not every secession will immediately have a pro-liberty outcome. That's true. Absolutely. Just as every no secession, every act of refraining from secession won't have a pro-liberty outcome. He says this, and as a matter of fact, I quote him as saying this in the book, secession is good. It does not guarantee that what you will get are smaller units that promote liberty and prosperity. I wish we could say that every seceding state brought liberty and prosperity. It will obviously increase the chance of individuals having more say over what goes on, but it doesn't guarantee that. So some seceding states might be very unpleasant ones, as I think you can find in the states that were created when the Soviet Union collapsed. You'll find some very unpleasant states there. But you'll also find some very successful and freedom-loving states. Latvia and Estonia, I'm thinking of. And then he gives, as other examples, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Then he repeats, all secession is good in and of itself and should be supported. It opens up the possibility for greater freedom and democracy and prosperity, but it doesn't guarantee it. But if you look around the world at which states are the most successful economically, as well as in democracy and freedom, I'm just quoting Kirkpatrick Sale here, they tend to be quite small, almost all below 7 million citizens and a great many of them below 5 million, which is the size of most of the nations in the world. So there is a much greater possibility that you'll have the liberty and prosperity that you want. But it's not guaranteed, of course. And I think that is the correct way to look at it. Now, there are some practical questions that have to be dealt with, like you know, what happens with the national debt and stuff like that. Now, I realize that an ANCAP won't care about stuff like this. Okay, but you're trying to sell an idea that has been made toxic in the minds of almost everybody to a large number of people you're going to have to kind of meet them halfway. And there are going to be people who have that kind of question, but that's not an insuperable obstacle because other countries have dealt with issues like that too. And so they, they either decide that kind of question on the basis of the GDP of the seceding places or the population of the seceding places. These are things that can be worked out. Of course, another problem is that the country is not neatly divided into two distinct camps. That's true. I don't fit into you know, very neatly into either of the two alleged camps that exist, but it's a start and it's better than nothing. And once you do start, then you never know where it will end. Maybe a portion of a state 
can secede. There's no reason, there's nothing magical about the number 50, nothing at all. And a lot of these states are the size of whole countries in the world. The idea that secession is unconstitutional or anything like that, that's also addressed in the book. It's not. Come on now, that's silly. But I think it's a pretty convincing case. And again, yes, I understand that the New York Times isn't going to like this. I get that. I completely understand that. But, you know, libertarians, it's time for us to get a little courage here, okay, and be willing to take positions that the New York Times doesn't approve of. What the New York Times wants you to say, they want you to be blue-pilled and say, well, we have to have faith in our institutions and just convince everybody of X, Y, or Z and everything will be fine. That's what they want you to say. They don't want you to have a forbidden thought. They want you to be the kind of libertarian who would be like the hall monitor in school, pointing and saying, hey, look at that guy over there doing that wrong thing. That's how they want libertarians to act towards people like you and me, is to point the finger and say, hey, that's an extremist over there. I'm a respectable person. I just want to have faith in our institutions, which have served us so well. Well, I don't really believe they have which is why I want to break the thing up. I want to break up the American empire. So given that I have the release of this book, I thought this would be a useful and opportune moment to review an article that appeared on a somewhat blue-pilled libertarian site, learnliberty.org, called National Divorce is Not a Pro-Liberty Solution by somebody named Jonathan Casey. And we have this. I won't read you the whole thing, but just the parts that I want to address. The opportunity for libertarians in this moment is not to celebrate divisions, but rather to remind Americans of the principles that inspired the creation of a government. These allow people of vastly different beliefs to coexist peacefully together. I think that's just naive. I don't think that's really acknowledging what's going on in the world or reckoning with what's happening in the news. First of all, I don't know of anybody who's, quote, celebrating divisions. I think Everybody I know thinks it's a tragedy that people are so deeply divided about such fundamental things. I think all of us feel like it would be much, much better if we could reach a consensus on all these things. So that seems like a caricature to me. I don't know of anybody who's actually celebrating divisions. I think what's actually happening is they're acknowledging the divisions and asking the question, are these divisions so deep that they prevent us from occupying the same polity? That's a legitimate question. And you can conclude, no, they're not that deep. Maybe these are just trivial differences that we have. Or we have some hope of convincing 80 million people to adopt our way of looking at things. And so we shouldn't pursue national divorce. Or other people could say, no, obviously, just look around you. I mean, people have wildly divergent ideas about a whole host of things. I mean, everything from economics to Climate change, climate change is the pretext now for extremely wide-ranging areas of social reconstruction. So you have that also. Obviously, economics. I know that in blue-pilled libertarian circles, you're not supposed to mention critical race theory because that's supposed to be not a problem and that's just a fantasy of stupid right-wingers. But anybody telling you that does not understand how toxic and just downright wrong critical race theory is, just based on the idea that if there are disparities, statistical disparities among groups, that this is evidence of systemic 
racism and injustice. Thomas Sowell spent his career refuting that. And it's interesting that in some blue-pilled libertarian circles, Thomas Sowell is not looked upon with respect the way you and I respect him. He's considered a dangerous right-winger. But the CRT stuff, the gender stuff, all that, which is not satisfied to confine itself to its own circles. These are proselytizing ideologies that want you not just to grit your teeth and tolerate them, but to celebrate them. If you look at the Green New Deal, which I've done numerous times on the Tom Woods show, and you see how radical and sweeping it is, then whatever it is you think some red state governor might do, that's not even in the ballpark of the Green New Deal, which frankly is not an exaggeration to say it threatens civilization itself, given how sweeping it is and the demands it makes on economies. I don't care what you think a red state governor is going to be up to. If a few of those places secede and refuse to go along with this, that is an excellent example to a lot of other places in the world. And it's a great step forward for the people who live in those places that secede. And the very fact of secession means we're breaking the rules, means we're not going to be governed by the narrow range of options given to us by the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN anymore. That in itself is a good thing. That's a good thing. That's not something to be embarrassed about or ashamed of or, oh, I wish these other libertarians wouldn't embarrass me because I want to be taken seriously by the New York Times and all that. Look, when they come for you, they're not going to make these careful distinctions, okay? You're a right-wing fascist every bit as much as they would say I am, okay? If you're any kind of libertarian whatsoever, if you're against Obamacare, you're a fascist to these people. So if you think that you can kiss up to our overlords by using just the right combination of words, when push comes to shove, they're really not going to care, okay? It's not going to matter. Then we read this. Some say that people have a right to live with whatever gun, taxes, immigration laws they want, and that national divorce would reduce, quote, forced associations. But this is a wholesale rejection of libertarianism, which believes that human rights are universal and must be protected. Okay, I travel in quite a few libertarian circles, and I don't know anyone who says that people have a, quote, right to live with such and such types of laws. Okay, in the abstract, nobody has the right to commit aggression against anybody else. That's not the issue. And I think it's kind of juvenile to pretend that that's the issue. The issue is the reality of the situation. This is the situation we're presented with. We have cultures around the world that are wildly opposed to libertarianism, wildly. And the issue is, what is the best use of my limited time and resources? Is it to print up, which is what some libertarian organizations have done, print up copies of the U.S. Constitution and go hand them out in these countries? As if the U.S. Constitution has been a banging success over here. But to hand them out and see how that goes. Now, I'm not saying don't do that. If that's what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. But is that the best use of our time? Or could there be lower hanging fruit in the world? Given that we have limited time and resources, why don't we go after the lowest hanging fruit? That's the argument. It's not people have a right to live. But sometimes we say that states have rights, quote unquote. And so maybe that's what this person is thinking of. Because I, I really have not heard of people saying, well, you have a right to live however you want. I mean, that's not really a libertarian approach. I mean, it is as long as there's no aggression involved. But we don't say, yeah, you have the right 
to live in a progressive utopia where there's high taxes and whatever. We don't say you have a right to do that. What we say is that under the constitutional arrangement that was created back in the late 18th century, that it allows for that. That's the point. It allows the states to make those decisions. And so, yeah, as shorthand, as shorthand, we use the term states' rights that even Jefferson used. But even he didn't think that a state in the abstract actually had a right to do this. He just means vis-a-vis the federal government. The federal government can't interfere. And so in that limited sense, that's what he means by states' rights. The point rather is we can spend the rest of our lives at each other's throats trying to make everybody into a carbon copy of ourselves. We can continue this low-intensity civil war forever and make each other miserable. Or we can stand back and ask, is this contributing to human flourishing? Is this making us happy? Or maybe wouldn't it be better if you took your ideas and implemented them where you live, and I take my ideas and implement them where I live? And yes, of course, some places will be worse, but some places will be better. The problem is this all-or-nothing mentality that we see in so much progressivism and that is leaking through into libertarianism, as it so often does, that, for example, Woodrow Wilson looked at the world this way. So either we have a bad guy running Germany or we have a good guy. Well, sometimes it's we have a bad guy or a worse guy. You know, that's the way an adult looks at the situation. Well, likewise, with national divorce, no, I can't guarantee you that every square inch of the United States is going to be a better place to live after this takes place. But that's not the option that we're facing, is it? It's not that everywhere does better or everywhere does worse. Again, this is not the way an adult is supposed to be thinking. In this real world we inhabit, we are very, very infrequently faced with a black and white choice like that. It's much, much more often shades of gray. And some places will be a lot better because they won't be implementing the Green New Deal. They won't be implementing the kind of crazy restrictions that we saw under COVID that were completely useless. They won't have laws that, as Kevin Dolan explained on the Tom Wood Show, basically weaponize HR departments against ordinary people all the time. But again, even if I were to focus exclusively on COVID craziness and the Green New Deal, those two alone are of vastly more significance than anything, let's say, a quote-unquote red state might be guilty of. I mean, there are people who have for years thought that the big threat in America is that a Mike Huckabee-style theocracy would take over America. I mean, even Mike Huckabee's not a theocrat, strictly speaking. But that is not the threat we face right now. If you look around the world, you look at the United States, the thing that is the big danger to us is not that Pat Robertson and the 700 Club are going to take over state governments. That is not the situation. I might add, by the way, though, it was never the case that the so-called religious right, which, by the way, I thought were very, very naive politically. I have a lot of disagreements with them. But I can say for them that they didn't go down to Greenwich Village and get in everybody's faces, making them miserable. It was the other way around. It was people throwing condoms at St. Patrick's Cathedral you know, during marches of various kinds. That kind of attitude was always one way. Then we read this. The idea that these new governments created by national divorce would obtain proper consent to take an individual's rights away is without evidence. 
That's right. That's why nobody makes that argument. Of course, it's without evidence. Nor does the smaller voting population make it more acceptable to restrict people's rights. Well, again, no one's making that argument. Libertarians completely reject the notion that when 51 out of 100 vote to take away your rights, it is more acceptable than 501 out of 1,000 voting to take away your rights. Your rights are yours always. This is what happens when you're in an isolation booth, ideologically. No one is making this argument. So, of course, I agree with that. Nobody's making this argument. The argument is that if your response to me, that maybe instead of having these gigantic states like the United States, having these enormous political units might not be contributing to human flourishing. And that, in fact, Hayek himself said that in the future, liberty is much, much more likely to be protected in small states. Now, was Hayek therefore saying, small states have a greater right to take your rights away than large states do? Of course not. Nobody's saying that. We're saying that it's highly unlikely that we're going to get 80 million people to see the world the way we do in the next few years or ever, maybe ever. So in the meantime, what can we try to do? You can give me pretty speeches about how nice it is to convince people about the principles on which our government was based. And, but what is this, like 1987? I mean, this sounds like the way the Republicans used to talk in 1987. It's like nothing has happened in the interim. The fact is we don't share a lot of these principles anymore. In fact, an awful lot of people who are causing a lot of problems actively reject the ideas that even the author of this article wants to support. I look around and I see people who absolutely do not believe in the traditional idea of the rule of law in the United States. I see people who think that the law is something to be manipulated to get the results you want. I see that everywhere. I honestly can't understand how somebody could be following the news or following the trends in the law schools and not see that. So the idea that, well, it should be up to libertarians to promote the great ideals on which our country, that ship has sailed, my friend. Okay, obviously, number one, these principles didn't work out for us, at least in the way they were implemented, they did not work out. The implementation of them did not work. But secondly, even the ideas of them are rejected by very important slivers of the population. For example, much of the legal class. I mean, honestly, you're, you're observing the way so-called law and order has gone over the past five years, and you've concluded that American ideals are alive and well, honestly. I wish I could live in that world. I would have so much more tranquility if I could live in that world. Then we have this. The libertarian solution allows localization of choice for policies and leaders without removing the rights protections provided by the federal government. The rights protections provided by the federal government. So this person is looking at the current situation, looking at the federal government as it exists today, and saying this is a net benefit because its salient characteristic is that it protects our rights. Again, as a non-blue-pilled libertarian, I just don't look at the world that way. I can't imagine that you could look at the federal government and think of it like that. Not to mention, I don't understand then, under this situation, why don't we have a world government then run by the U.S. federal government? If it's good at enforcing and protecting people's rights, then... Obviously, it's wrong for there to be any kind of international divorce. You know, why should Canada not be part of the United States? Why should we have any of these borders? Why should instead not we have a single world government ruled over by the country that brought you John McCain 
and Mitt Romney. And by the way, Mitt Romney is very respected in those circles, in blue libertarian circles. Mitt Romney is very respected. Of course, Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, the Clintons. You know, why shouldn't these wonderful people who are just trying their best for us, they're just trying their best to enforce our rights. Why are the borders around the U.S. the correct ones? Shouldn't we erase those and instead have the U.S. govern the whole world? Let's imagine there was a time when all of North America was one giant country. And then we had a break into Canada, the United States, and Mexico. I bet I would still have been having this argument with this same person who would have warned of catastrophe if we have a Canada, United States, and Mexico. But because we do have those things, there's a status quo bias built into a lot of people. And so that is not to be questioned. Of course, we have Canada, the United States, and Mexico. That's just the nature of things. But we absolutely cannot have an eastern seaboard part of the United States, and we can't have a middle part, and we can't, that we can't have. But for some arbitrary reason, we can have Canada, the United States, and Mexico. But what about all those people in rural Mexico who need their rights protected by Hillary Clinton? You know, wouldn't it have been better if we could have had an arrangement where the U.S. just ruled them too? I don't think on net that's a benefit. Then we read this. Libertarians should not be arguing for a national divorce with messages like, people have a right to oppress themselves or they don't have a right to be free. I don't know who he's talking about. I have never heard anyone say that. We should be an unapologetic voice reminding people that natural rights are universal and granted by no piece of paper or government. Correct. How's that been working for you? You're correct. How's that been working? A lot of people listening to that? I think a lot of us feel like while we're waiting for that cute civics project to bear fruit, we would like to protect ourselves against people who can't stand the sight of us. That's all. Then we read, there is an argument to be had for secession, but it must serve the purposes of protecting and advancing individual liberty. National divorce does the opposite. How? How? And so before we can secede, we have to run it by, what's his name? Jonathan Casey. He'll let us know if it serves the purposes of protecting and advancing individual liberty. So until the secession is quite pure enough, we still have to live under the present regime. Now, if you're blue-pilled, the present regime is really not all that bad. Because if you're blue-pilled, you believe that American society is broken into groups, most of whom are oppressed in one way or another. And yes, the federal government is protecting them clumsily, but at least it's protecting them. There are a lot of dangerous places in the world. And yes, the U.S. military can, you know, sometimes be a little bit over the top. But the CIA generally gets things right about, you know, which enemies we have to keep an eye on and stuff. And, you know, and Russia's pretty bad. So, yeah, it's a problem. But on balance, you know, a lot of times the U.S. more or less gets things right. And, and you know, the crazy extremists in the libertarian world might doubt certain aspects of climate change and that, you know, we have to deal with these anti-science people in the libertarian world. And yeah, the government may handle climate change in a somewhat clunky way, but it is a problem. So we got to deal with it one way or another. So yeah, if you're blue-pilled, then the regime doesn't probably seem that bad to you. There are parts of it that really do genuinely outrage you. But in general, you don't view it as being run by really, really bad people who are pursuing their own interests. You view it as being run by people who are more or less doing their best trying to advance the common good. And so in that case, yeah, you have all the time in the world to try to convince 80 million people of certain abstract propositions. But the rest of us would like to live flourishing lives even before we're able to convince that many people. I just want to, if I can find enough people around where I am, where we all kind of agree, then we'd like to live without being harassed by the rest of you crazy people. That's the way we're looking at it. 
Then we have our messaging should be a stark contrast to what the rest of the country is being told. Yes, national divorce is a stark contrast. I mean, that's an opinion you're not allowed to hold. That's an opinion that so much of mainstream libertarianism is afraid to talk about because that's not respectable and the New York Times won't like you. I don't want to be liked by the New York Times, so it doesn't bother me. And then we get this. As Republicans and Democrats focus on increasing the divisions and fear between Americans, libertarians have an opportunity to show America the best version of itself. A version of America. Now, I want you to, as I'm reading these words, I want you to think about America today and the people who run it and the issues we're fighting over. And I want you to see if this bears any resemblance to that at all. A version of America held together by our common belief in the natural rights enumerated in our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution that have survived for the last two and a half centuries while other countries around the world have dissolved or fallen apart. So you think the Constitution has survived for the last two and a half centuries, that it's been operational and doing its job for two and a half centuries. Then yeah, then I guess you don't see any problems. Then I, I guess you can forego national divorce. The Constitution has survived for the last two and a half centuries. I don't think it has. Kevin Gutzman and I wrote a book called Who Killed the Constitution? So I don't believe that it has. And again, not to mention, half the people we're fighting against absolutely reject these ideas as being inherently racist, as being the creations of dead white men. And I'm supposed to sit here and reason with those people? I'd rather say, look, if you want to take that kind of divisive rhetoric and live over there, then go do that. But I'd like to not speak that way. I'd like to be more humane and live over here. And then this, while other countries around the world have dissolved or fallen apart, why is that a bad thing? Why is it necessarily a bad thing that a country should dissolve and then become two or three countries or five countries or maybe not have a government or whatever? Why is that a bad thing? Why would a libertarian say, oh, it's a terrible thing that country, quote unquote, dissolved? Who came down from heaven and said, the borders of this country shall be drawn in this way and it shall exist in this form forever? Who did that? I thought libertarians were supposed to be emancipated thinkers, not bound to tradition. A lot of them are stupid traditions. I mean, of all people, I would think libertarians would say that maybe dissolving a country is exactly what needs to happen. Why would we think that was a bad thing? Especially if the country is oppressive and doing rotten things and making people's lives miserable and impoverishing them, then it's good for that thing to be dissolved. I mean, if the Soviet Union had persisted for a couple of hundred more years, we would not, I would hope, have celebrated it if they had gone around saying, well, a lot of other countries have dissolved or fallen apart, but we've survived. Okay, the mere fact that you've survived doesn't mean anything. You needed to dissolve and fall apart. I want these empires to dissolve and fall apart. No, this does not mean that libertarianism will instantly triumph in the wake of the dissolution, but neither does not dissolving them. What's that track record been like? Look at that track record. It's horrendous. Maybe we try something different, given that this is not working. So check it out. You can get it for free. My new ebook, National Divorce, The Peaceful Solution to Irreconcilable Differences. You can find it at nationaldivorce.com. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.